what a morning so far. <laughs> I love that God speaks so uniquely. You know, we come in here Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and yet God speaks something new into our lives every time. That's what I love about God is that you will never leave empty-handed. When we come into God's presence and when we seek him, God is a God who loves to give. He loves to pour out of himself, of his blessings, of his character, and we will never leave empty-handed. And as we're speaking about this freedom, as we're speaking about this, this ability to just trust in God and live in true peace, live in true joy, you know, we're, we're doing this message series called Be the New. I don't know, are you supposed to say year or is that just there on the... You're supposed to say it? Ruben's the author of the series, so if he's supposed to say it, all right, be the new year. <laughs> um, but we, as we ended last year, I, um, I think it's interesting. At the end of every year, usually people are, are usually um, posting or they're sharing of the things that they are grateful for. And usually they, it's a time of reflection where you think about the past year. You think of the places you've gone, the things you've done, and, and, and you're grateful. And, and as a premise or using the premise of gratitude, also people like to show what they've done and show what, 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 ha what all has happened in the past year. And there's this one particular person that I follow um, on social media, and she's just, she's an incredible person. I mean, she's a big um, media figure in Portugal. She's a UN ambassador. She's a founder and president of a social organization. She's a lot of things and quite just an inspiring person. And so at the end of last year, I was reading her post on, um, on what she'd done. And she was posting lots of different pictures of the million and one amazing things that she did. Just reading that makes you feel like, what am I doing with my life? Um, but she, she'd been a host in the Web Summit and she'd um, interviewed really important people and she'd done all kinds of things. And, she, and as I was reading the caption, I was reading all that she had done, and then at the end, she used this expression that really got my attention. And, and I couldn't get past, I couldn't get past that, and it just stayed in my mind. She said, after all that she explained, all the things that she did, she said, you know, despite 2021's hardships, this is the year that I produced the most. And it didn't sit well with me. <laughs> Somehow that, that expression, it, and the reality that perhaps I would even use that expression and the reality that maybe some of us would use that expression just made me uncomfortable. The fact that she would summarize her whole life in the past whole year as an effort to produce didn't sit well. See, at the end of the year, there was this subtle kind of competition. I don't know if you notice it, but there's a subtle kind of competition that made its way into, into, into our, our society. And it's this competition between people and families and organizations as to who produced the most. Now, I, I lead an organization. I know the importance of showing what you've done. I know the importance of annual reports and being accountable to donors and saying, look, your money, with your money, this is the impact that we achieved, and we have to show what we've done. But there's a subtle kind of competition at this greater scale between people and families and all kinds of institutions saying, this is what we produced. 
And it's who got married and who got pregnant and who gave birth and how many kids do you have and who moved countries and who got a master's degree and who got a PhD degree and who went on holiday, who went on holiday to the most exotic places, whose social media looked happiest, whose social media looked more designer. And there's just this competition between people. And, and while all of these things are great, Somehow this uncomfortable pressure to produce made its way into our hearts. And if we're not careful, and if we allow it, it'll make way into our new year. Because the question naturally becomes, well, how much will you produce this year? And what are the New Year's resolutions that you are making now to, to ensure that when December 2022 comes around, you will in fact have something to show? And the year has just begun and suddenly our focus is quickly turned in on ourselves and our energy and our strength. It's all funneled into this effort to strive towards, towards impressing those around us, towards producing what people expect of us and what the world expects of us. And if we fall into this mindset right in January of this year, then we completely miss the point of Christianity and we completely miss the point of life itself. See, the word, the word tells us in Romans, Paul is speaking to a church in Rome. He's basically writing an email back then to friends of his and men and women like you and I who were also struggling with this pressure to produce. They were also struggling with this, this pressure from society to impress people all the time and to, to do as people expected of them in their businesses and in their families and, and so much pressure from the outside world. And so Paul writes to them and this is what he says. Don't, don't fall into that. He says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so what this tells me is that while the world has one way of stepping into a new year, which really is just a numerical change when you think about it, as Christians, we are called to step into a whole new paradigm where God can truly make us into a new person. As Reuben said last week, for this year to be new, you have to be made new. You have to care differently. You have to think differently. You have to choose differently. You have to commit differently. You have to love differently. And so today I want to explore this differently. What does that mean? What is so different about, about the way that God wants us to live our lives as opposed to how society works? What are the patterns of this world and the mindset that the world promotes? And how does God want us to think differently so that we can become a new person? So we're going to open in Luke chapter 9. And, and, and basically this is a story of, it's a short story, it's a short encounter. Jesus keeps it quick here. <laughs> but it's, a, it's about a man who comes to Jesus. Now this man, he is so impressed by Jesus. I mean, so young and already accomplished so much. Jesus had 
thousands of followers. Jesus was the best public speaker this man had ever heard. He had healed people. He had preached incredible sermons. He had a following like no other. This man was so impressed. And so we read in verse 57, as they were walking along, Jesus is walking along with his disciples. A man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And we know through the gospel of Mark that this man was a teacher of the law. And it was standard practice back then that someone that was a teacher of the law would, would, um, would attach themselves to another teacher in order to somehow move up in their standing. And so Jesus was popular. Jesus was a great guy. Jesus was somebody that was respected and increasingly so. And so this man thinks, well, strategically, and if I'm, if I'm wise here, if I make the right move here, then I'll attach myself to this guy because that will work out good for me. That, that will hopefully help me move up in my career. And maybe if I, if, I, if I stand around him, if I attach myself to him, then I will be respected by association and this will be good for the life that I have in mind for myself. And so he comes up to Jesus and, and he is eager to follow him. And he says, I will go with you wherever you go. Essentially, he's ready to become a Christian and to live a life following this incredible teacher. And this is how Jesus replies. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What an odd response. And again, this is a short conversation. This is as far as it gets, at least that we know in the Bible. In other words, Jesus says, listen, man, like, you can follow me, but you're not even guaranteed a roof over your head. We're not going to stay at the fanciest hotels. We, we are not going to build a nice house and we're not going to have a comfortable life. Rather, you're not even guaranteed a roof over your head. This verse alone could debunk the whole falsehood of prosperity gospel being preached all over the world. This false lie that if you follow Jesus, then you'll have everything you want and more. That if you follow Jesus, your life will just be perfect straight away. For anyone even considering Christianity, this guy was not a mature believer. This guy hadn't been around Jesus for a long time. This guy hadn't gone to church all his life, born in a Christian home. No, this guy was even just considering following Jesus. And Jesus straight away, this is what he says. Hey, if you follow me, this is not a path to comfort. This is not a path to self-promotion. This is not a path to building the life that you dreamed for yourself. This man was coming to Jesus saying, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he had no idea that Jesus was headed straight to Calvary. And so right now, as we step into a new year, we have to understand. Right now, right as we begin the year, we have to understand that the path of a Christ follower is not one of self-advancement. Following Jesus actually begins with self denial. Not your New Year's resolution, not your most exciting way to begin, but it is what Jesus tells this man. Following me begins with self-denial. Earlier in the chapter in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Jesus looks at all of these crowds, I mean all of these followers that are following him and they're attracted to him and they just want to go where he goes and they're so impressed by him. And this is what Jesus says, not your typical leader of today. <laughs> He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. 
Now we hear those words and, and we think that's inspiring. We have reverence for the cross. We, we see the cross as, as a, a symbol of our salvation and of our hope. And we wear crosses around our necks and we put crosses in our homes and in our churches. But in first century um, world, you did not do that. <laughs> that, was like, that would be like putting an electric chair around your neck. Or, or a nice painting of an electric chair in your home. There is nothing appealing or inviting about that. That's just creepy. And if you do that, somebody should report you. But Jesus straight away, right in that context, as people are, are considering following him, Jesus paints a picture of death. Of dying to yourself. Jesus was on a mission headed towards Jerusalem where the innocent lamb of God was about to willingly sacrifice his life out of unconditional love for you and I. And if that doesn't make sense to you yet, if you don't understand what that means, that the innocent lamb of God would lay down his life for us, then please come speak to me, come speak to Reuben, come speak to one of the elders of the church, and we would love to explain what that means because there is so much depth in that, and it's life-changing. But Jesus was about to go and, and lay down his life for you and I. And this is the type of self-denial and surrender that Jesus is calling us to. And so while the world is telling us in 2022 that you just need to name it and claim it, that you need to build the careers that you have dreamt, that you need to produce, that you need to consume, that you need to chase after things that you want and build the life that, that you can enjoy, a life of comfort, a life that, that you deserve. Jesus is saying, hey, but if you want to follow me, the destination is Calvary. And the destination is Calvary every day. Pick up your cross and follow me where you lay down your will. You lay down your plans. You lay down your comforts as a living sacrifice to God. This is the type of Christianity that Jesus is calling us to. And so here's a question. This year and every year after that, for as long as you live, will you choose comfort or the cross? Will you choose comfort or the cross? And we might as well answer this question now. Because Jesus, he, he didn't lure people into following him, sign a contract, and then months later surprise them with a small print. Jesus was clear with his invitation time and time again. Jesus tells us what it truly means to follow him. He calls us away from the comforts of this world, the expectations of producing, and he turns us towards the cross that calls us to live in a radically different way where you no longer come first. God does. Other people do. What a different paradigm from what the world promotes where it's all about me, myself, and I. And Jesus says, no, if you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. And now you live for me. And now you live for the person sitting next to you. Another man, he comes up to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this guy, he turns to Jesus and he says, well, who is my neighbor? And next thing, Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. Who knows that story? 
who's heard of that story. If you haven't, head to, where is it? Luke chapter 10. (laughs) But this is the story where Jesus basically explains that our neighbor is the one who is hurting. Our neighbor is the one who is inconvenient to love. Our neighbor is the one that nobody has time for. Our neighbor is the one that, that, that everyone else thinks is undeserving of our love. Jesus calls us to a love that is sacrificial. It's not comfortable. It's not easy. It's not self-serving. It's not self-satisfying. You see, if we, we love our neighbor, we, we love to love our neighbor when we've scheduled the time. When I've put you in my time slot, in my agenda, you fit there, then I can love my neighbor. We love to to love neighbors that think like us and vote like us and are passionate about the same things that we are and they agree with us and they dress like us and they talk like us and, and, and neighbors who are fun to be with and neighbors who by being with them, there's some kind of return, return on our popularity, return on our investment of time, return on just being accepted in a group. We love to love our neighbor when it's comfortable. And yet, again, Jesus is calling us to the cross. The Bible says that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. What Mike just said, at your lowest moment, where not even you can look at yourself, that's who Jesus died for. Jesus died for you, imperfect as you are. Jesus died for those who would accept him and for those who would reject him. Think about that. I don't even want to spend time with someone who's disrespectful to me, never mind laying down my life for them. Jesus loved, not because we were deserving of that love, but because it's who he is. And so as we step into a new year, God wants to make me a new me by changing the way that I love. Love your neighbor as yourself. A love that is so covered in empathy and compassion as we put ourselves in other shoes and we honor them and we care for them and we fight for them as we would for ourselves. There's nothing comfortable about that kind of love. The other day I was watching this movie that came out recently. Who's watched a movie called Encanto? A few of you. If you hang out with kids, there's a higher probability that you will have watched this movie. It's an animated film, and um, my daughter, Jade, her attention span has gone from about three seconds to 30 minutes. (laughs) And so we've moved. I'm trying to move on from the YouTube kids videos and moving on to Disney and Pixar because at least it's a little more entertaining for me. And we were um, at my sister's house, and we were watching this movie called Encanto, and it's... it's, uh, it's placed in, um, in Latin America and Colombia, and so just the colors and the music, and nowadays it's just, they're so well done. And so we're watching this, and when we get home, for my sisters, we had to interrupt the movie, we get home, and I'm, I'm insisting that Jade will watch this with me, uh, and so I start, I continue watching it with her, but I mean, about 20 minutes later, she abandoned ship, went on to do something else, and I'm watching this movie by myself, 
And next thing, Reuben walks into the living room to find his adult wife watching cartoons, sobbing like there's no tomorrow. I'm just crying my eyes out. And he's like, what in the world? You're watching cartoons. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, this is talking about refugees. And I'm trying to explain to him what this movie is demonstrating and thankfully, children don't understand the depth of the story, but this children's movie is portraying the story of a refugee woman who had met her husband, fallen in love. She gets pregnant. They have three beautiful newborn babies. And next thing, her village is invaded with violence. And one day to the next, they have to leave everything they've ever worked for, and they have to flee from there. And in the journey of fleeing, her husband is killed. And she has to continue on with her children, and she rebuilt her life from scratch. And one day her children don't even know the sacrifice and the pain that this woman has gone through. And I'm sitting there crying my eyes out because I'm thinking of the stories of the friends that I've come to know through the Lisbon Project, of their stories that are so similar to this, true stories. In fact, I just recently, I, I was speaking to a close friend last week. And she was sitting there and telling me in her broken English of her story that she too met her husband. And they fell in love. And they got married in a traditional wedding as is custom in her village. And she got pregnant. And, and shortly after giving birth to their baby boy, her husband is kidnapped. And he's put into prison. She'll never hear of him again for being a Christian, and, and, and all of a sudden, out of fear for her life and her son's life, just a couple years later, she decides to flee. She doesn't tell her family, who shares of a different faith, doesn't tell anybody around her. She saves some money, and she takes her three-year-old son, and she flees. And she essentially takes buses and walks across northern Africa. This is not like walking from here to Kashkash. She takes a three-year-old son and she walks across northern Africa to get to, to Libya where she pays traffickers to get her on a boat to cross the Mediterranean Sea where hundreds and thousands have lost their lives, but that would be better than the fear of staying home. And so she gets on this boat at night with her three-year-old son to get to Italy to one day arrive in Lisbon. And I'm sitting there thinking... And crying, love your neighbor as yourself. Would I mourn with those who mourn? Because I'm thinking, I would do anything for my husband. I would do anything, anything in this world for the safety of my girls. The daughters that I gave birth to, the daughters that I love with all of my heart and all of my being, I would do anything for them. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. Gabby, would you do anything for the safety of another woman's child? We live in a world that lures us into the selfish kind of comfort where it's all about me and, and my family and my dreams and, and my plans and it turns a blind eye to the poor and to the oppressed and to the hurting. But pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus says. No promise of comfort. Rather, step into the new, live out a purpose of love where you are so driven by the sacrificial kind of love that would lay down its life, taking Jesus as our ultimate example that every day we would choose to lay down ourselves 
for the benefit of others. This morning, I want to share a quick video that shares a story of a man that was just going about his normal Christian life when suddenly he decides to live out a greater purpose. So let's watch it. I think it's just like a minute and a half. Turn your attention to the screen. A good friend of mine, first time he ever came into a village like this, he was actually just hiking through these mountains and uh, just with some college buddies wanting to have an adventure. and. Uh, so came up into the Himalayas, and uh, but at the first stop they came to in a village like this, he actually met some guys who were traffickers who make a living out of taking girls from villages like this and taking them down into the city uh, where they're sold and used and abused and never to return to their village. Uh, and my friend Aaron said everything changed in his life at that point. He immediately turned down the mountain, came back, didn't go on that adventure trip, and he's been spend, spending the decades since then making the love and the peace and the hope that's found in Jesus known in these mountains for girls like that, for their families, for people in need. And it just it's a good reminder to me, like once you see need, like, the love of Christ compels you to do something about it. Like, What would happen if we lived our lives like that? What if our impulse, instead of seeing need and thinking, what, what can I do? What if we just acted and put into practice what we know God has called us to do? What kind of effect would that have on people, not just in villages like this, but people right around us? is David Platt. I'll just insert here. If you want to read a good book that will inspire you this year, then jot it down. It's called Radical by David Platt. But I love this video, and it really spoke to me as I was watching it this week because we don't, we don't all have to quit our jobs and move to a remote village somewhere in the Himalayas. But what spoke to me about the story was that this guy was just going for a hike. He's just going on an adventure with his buddies. He was just going about his normal life, doing something fun that he had in mind when he realizes that his life is meant for more. He sees the pain of others and love compels him to turn around. He says that he didn't even make it to the top of the mountain, that the need was so great and this, this, this conviction that God wanted him to meet that need, this conviction that God wanted to use his life to encounter the needs of others was so great, he just abandoned his plans. He didn't make it to the top of the mountain. He turns back down. And he dedicates his life to protecting the safety of women and girls in that area. And so I'm wondering this morning, what are the mountains that we are climbing of our own plans and our own decisions and our own choices where we only consult ourselves? What are those mountains that we are climbing that God perhaps is saying, would you just open your eyes to the needs around you? Would you turn around and would you follow me to a greater kind of love, to a greater purpose? If we go back to Luke chapter 15, Jesus says, he, he, he tells us this parable. This is what he says. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. 
And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, well, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Amazing how 2,000 years ago, Jesus summarizes our society in a paragraph. Build up as much as you can, work tirelessly to do it, and then save it all up for a rainy day and enjoy it. Enjoy it because you deserve it. Enjoy it because you've worked hard for it. Enjoy it. You deserve those vacations. You deserve the bigger house. You deserve the nicer car. You deserve the clothes that, you, that you've bought and that you want. You deserve all of that. And, and I need to be clear. There is nothing wrong about these things. There's nothing inherently wrong about a vacation or about nice clothes or about whatever it is. I enjoy them too. The Bible says there's nothing wrong about these things. Rather, the Bible says money's not a problem, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, wanting these things so badly, have wandered from the truth, from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. In other words, When we are so focused on climbing our mountain in the pursuit of our personal happiness that we become blind to the needs of others and the call of God to lay down our lives sacrificially for him and for his kingdom, that's a problem. And so God says to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So what does it mean to be rich towards God? If we skip down a few verses, it says, do not be afraid, little flock, to your, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. John Wesley, uh, he famously said, he's a theologian and he, he says, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all that you can. And so while the, pre- the world pressures us to produce and to consume, God invites us to give and to surrender and to love. Being rich towards God is investing in things that have eternal impact. When you live and you love like Jesus, when you give, when you forgive, when your heart is so dedicated to telling people the good news of the kingdom of God to whoever will listen, when you love your enemies... And endure persecution for the sake of Christ. This is what it means to be rich toward God. And so how do we make all of this practical? How do we leave this building and put this message into practice? Because if we don't, there's really no point to it all. Because maybe you're sitting there thinking, Gabby, that sounds great. And this video is really nice. And what you're saying is really beautiful. But um, I have bills to pay. And I can't just quit my job. And, and I have to provide for my, for my family. And, and I have to put food on the table somehow. And I can't ignore all that. And absolutely, those things are so important. But this is what Jesus says. And these are his words, not mine. He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. 
Don't be so focused on that. Don't be anxious about that. Don't be worried about that. Don't be nervous about that. Don't make that your, your, this pressure uh, uh, like it's your responsibility. This is what Jesus says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. In other words, Jesus says... I know that food seems important, but the body that that food, the life that that food is sustaining, that's what's truly important. And I know that, that clothes and the different things you have going on, I know that that seems important, but, but the body that that clothes goes on, the body that I created, that I give air into your lungs, that's what's truly important. He's saying here that there are things that seem important, but God's plans for your life, God's kingdom, God's will, that's what's truly important. And if you get stuck on what seems important and your life is all about what seems important, then you'll miss out on what's truly important. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul and to love your neighbor as yourself. No promise of comfort, but step into this purpose of love. Step into the new let God dictate your every day. And so you want to be practical? Everybody say, seek first. Seek first. If we, can, if we can put that on the wallpaper of our phones, if we can put that in our homes, if we can put that on our fridge, if we can put it wherever we can, hey, tattoo it on your body. Hey, whatever reminds you, seek first. This is how Jesus makes it real practical. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his word every day. Seek first his presence when you pray. Seek first his counsel when you're making decisions. Seek first his wisdom when you're making plans. Seek God first in everything that you do. And I can't stress it enough. If we would just seek first his word, just this alone. If we, would, if we would dwell in his word, if we would seek for his counsel, if we would read the Bible and read scripture and be filled with what God puts first, then we'll know what his pleasing and perfect will is for our lives. Will you seek God first? And here's what he says, the best part, and all of these things will be added unto you. All these other things you were worried about, all the other things that consume your mind, all these other things that you have legitimate reason to be thinking about, all these other things, God will handle it. God will take care of it. Not necessarily maybe the way that we would want, not necessarily the way that we had envisioned, but God's will, God's plans for us are good. They're not plans to harm us, but they are plans to give us a future and a hope. Will you seek first the kingdom of God? Lay down your life. Lay down your will as you step into this new year. Forget what people think. Forget people's expectation. Forget the pressure that society puts on you to be this person or that person. And just be the person that you were created to be by the Father who made you. The Bible says in Matthew, he says that, he tells a parable, and I don't have it up here, and maybe I can call the worship team already. Jesus is telling a parable, and he says that um, the kingdom of God is like this man who finds a treasure in a field. 
and he kind of covers the treasure up and he goes out and he sells all of his possessions. He sells everything he owns to go back and buy that field. And people are like, what are you doing, man? What are you, what are you selling everything for to buy that field? What's so special about that field? And he kind of turns around, well, I have a hunch. Because <laughs> he knows that the treasure that he has found is worth triple, is worth 20 times, 100 times more than anything that he owns in his life. And that is what the kingdom of God is like. When we understand how precious God is, when we understand how incredible God is, when we understand the value of our salvation, when we understand the purpose that we have in God, then nothing compares. Nothing this world has to offer me. Nothing that anyone could ever promote to me. Nothing compares to what I have in Christ. I'm willing to lay it all down. I'm willing to choose the cross over the comforts of this world because it is so much more valuable. And in it, there is freedom. In it, there is joy. In it, there is true purpose. And so this morning, that's the question I want us to answer. Will we choose comfort or will we choose the cross? And here's the thing. One day when we stand before our king, our life will have answered that question. Whether we answer it now with our words or not, our life will answer this question. And I want to stand before my Jesus one day, imperfect as I am, flawed as I am. I want to say, Jesus, I, I chose the cross. I gave you everything I had. You had your way in my life. You had your will be done in my life because I gave you everything. And I want my life to tell that story. And so this morning, let's stand before Jesus. And let's just be real with him. Let's worship him. And just think about it. If you want to be a follower of Christ, are you willing to pick up your cross? Are you willing to lay it all down? And maybe this is a moment of surrender. Maybe this is a moment where you say, here it is, God. The things I've been holding on to, the way I've been wanting to control and, and write the story of my own life, I want to put down the pen and give it to you. You write it, God. You define the plans for my life. I don't want that pressure anymore. I don't want the pressure of trying to impress and trying to fit into what everybody else wants for my life. I just want to live for you. So take it, God. Take my life. Let this be a moment of surrender before God. What would happen if this room was filled with true Christ followers who loved their neighbor as themselves. What would happen in our workplaces, in our families, in our cities? If we would lay down our will, love God with everything that we have, and our neighbor as ourselves. Let's spend some time in worship, and let's just talk to God.